Hello and welcome to the NFL Blitz as we review week 5 of the NFL season and one in which I finally get to be happy because the Steelers have done football correctly at last. And you know, I, I didn't really expect this year so many of the intros to just be about how our teams have done but for some reason it's just it's just the route I've gone down and now it just feels like it feels like the route we've always taken even though that is definitely not the case and it really did feel like the week in the NFL where life sort of returned to normal I'm not saying that because the Steelers won but we had the international game back for the first time since 2019 really nice to see the international game return and in a week where soccer had its international break, also really appreciated the extra football because I didn't really have anything else to watch. And also, I want to mention it now because this is an NFL podcast and there's not really any space in the podcast to talk about it. The NHL has returned this week and my team, the Seattle Kraken, played their first ever game in the NHL. I decided to start following them because I've only kind of been interested in the NHL in the past, but... I feel like supporting a team in the league will really help increase my, my fandom for it. And, yeah, so I decided to support the Kraken because they have a new team in town and I already support the Seattle Mariners in baseball. So it, it made sense to me to, to pick the Kraken as well. And what a first game they had. 4-3 defeat against the Las Vegas Golden Knights. The favourites for the Stanley Cup and for a first game when there was so much turmoil and we didn't even know who, or the media didn't know who was going to be starting for the Kraken. It was a seriously impressive result and bear in mind, don't want to seem negative because it was a very positive night, the first ever game in Kraken history, such a good performance, playing with great energy. I don't want to sound miserable but that four Vegas goal was definitely a kick. As a fan of soccer, I know what a kick is and a kick's a kick and that was a deliberate kick you even saw it i don't know the guy's name i can't remember off the top of my head but when the refs said yeah goal's good he was he, he had that oh my god how did i just get away with that face fair enough fair enough but yeah for the most part fantastic opening game really happy with how the kraken played and fingers crossed they can build on that they've got nashville tonight as i record this or technically tomorrow morning so Hoping for a win there. Anyway, welcome to the show today. I hope you're doing well. I hope this podcast finds you in good health as per usual. Remember to go to anchor.fm forward slash the NFL Blitz. If you want to find out where you can play this podcast, you can play it there. Or you can keep doing what you're doing already because you're listening to a podcast. And remember to go to the Sports Blitz website for writing about the NFL and other sports. Just uploaded my 300th article on the website, which is genuinely terrifying. But I've spent so much time working. I say working, not really working. But doing stuff for that website. I only started last March. And I've already done 300 articles. That's just a bit weird. But, you know, I've enjoyed it. And the last one, it was NFL-based. It was about the 1974 Steelers draft. And why that draft, in my humblest of humble opinions is the greatest draft any team have had in any sport ever and that is explained in the article so go and give that a read when you can also the power rankings for week five are up and i'll be honest i, I think the bengals are a bit too low i've kind of thought about changing it but you know 
We'll, we'll get on to the Bengals later on. We'll get on to all teams in the NFL later on. But there was only really one place we could start this week, and it's not a great place. Don't really want to talk about this, but I kind of feel like we have to. John Gruden has resigned as head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. And usually I'd put this in the game review, but this is nothing to do with the game itself. John Gruden had a trove of emails get leaked from as far back as 2011 and as from as far forward as 2018, where he pretty much managed to offend every single group on the planet Earth. Those emails were racist, they were sexist, they were homophobic, they were pretty much everythingist. They insulted everyone who has basic human decency. So it wasn't really a surprise when he resigned because he was never going to be able to command the faith of that locker room ever again. Just ever again. He had put so much hurtful things into those emails and supposedly there were even more and the NFL were just going to keep releasing them or the New York Times were going to keep releasing them until he had eventually resigned. So, bearing in mind the, the number of people in that locker room who were the targets of some of those emails and all the people in the organisation who would have been the targets of some of them emails, not personally, but the targets of the racism, of the sexism, and of course the homophobia. Carl Nassib came out this summer as gay, one of the Las Vegas Raiders players, and so he would have felt insulted by that. And in fact, uh, Mike Mayock has said that he has spoke to Carl Nassib several times over the last couple of days. And when Nassib requested a personal day to process everything of the team, granted it. Credit to Mike Mayock for how he's handled this situation because he seems to have handled it with poise and, and with maturity. And it can't have been an easy thing to do, but he, he has handled it really well. This is Gruden's legacy now. And Gruden had a weird legacy for me to begin with because he had that really explosive start to his career, won the Super Bowl with Tampa Bay Buccaneers, though we'll get onto some comments later on about that Super Bowl win. But, you know, he for the most part after that, he's sort of been coasting off that legacy of winning that Super Bowl, gets the job with the Raiders for a ridiculous amount, 10 years, $100 million, was a ridiculous sum to offer a person who had not been coaching for, for as many years as Gruden had, and for a guy who had a recent record like Gruden had in his coaching career, because bearing in mind he'd coached six years after that Super Bowl win, and none of them were good. But anyway, this is his legacy. This is what he'll be remembered for, and he will almost certainly not get a job in the NFL ever again. It will be surprising if he gets a job in anything related to American football ever again. And he shouldn't. He absolutely shouldn't. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers have confirmed they've kicked him out of the ring of honour as well. So th this is what he is now. And it was such a shocking sort of revelation to see this is who John Gruden is. Because it is who John Gruden is. He can say that, oh, you know, I've learnt a lot and I've changed. No, you haven't. The last of those emails that have been uncovered were sent in 2018. You don't change from when you were, what, like 48 to 51 or whatever it was. This is who John Gruden is and we have to accept that. There have been a lot of people online in the last few days going, oh, well, I bet if you go back 10 years in your email, you'll find stuff that... 
you know, you wouldn't want published. First of all, I can guarantee you one thing. If you go back into my email, you won't find anything racist because I am not, nor have ever been, racist. You won't find anything sexist. You won't find anything homophobic. What you'll find, probably, is that I was a nerd growing up who, you know, just spent all his time talking about video games. I did actually go back into my email as far back as it goes it goes back to 2012 2013ish and it was homework submissions and very bad photoshops and talking about video games in a very sad way and that's it that was pretty much it that was me 10 years ago uh well nine eight years ago and most people will not have that sort of toxic stuff in their email. This comes back to the point that I felt when the Newcastle United takeover was confirmed in soccer and people would go, oh, I bet you're still going to do all this stuff and and blah de blah But Essentially, just because you're the bad person doesn't mean that everyone else is a bad person. This is sort of a thing you see in a lot of circles on social media that, you know, if... You'll have that sort of stuff in your email as well. No, no. Gruden is a bad person and I'm not. <laughs> we don't have that stuff in our emails. And just because you assume we do doesn't mean we do. It's just that you're a bad person. And that sort of played out with the Newcastle takeover as well because they were going, oh, you'd love it if your club were taken over by blood money raging. No, no. We're just genuinely better people than you are. We don't have racist stuff in our emails, or sexist, or homophobic. We just don't. Okay? Cool. And just to come back to Tampa Bay, Keyshawn Johnson, one of his former wide receivers, was talking about Gruden's resignation, and he said, well, to be honest, he's always been nothing more than a used car salesman for me anyway. Obviously, they famously didn't get along. And so, the comments coming out of Tampa Bay haven't been great either anyway. Tampa have definitely taken the correct decision in kicking him out of the Ring of Honor, but some people clearly would argue that he shouldn't have been there in the first place. And, yeah, it, it was really interesting to hear Keyshawn Johnson speak about Gruden because clearly there are a lot of people who, who never liked the guy. Chris Sims, who was a quarterback for Gruden and now is on Pro Football Talk, said that how Gruden treated him during a recovery from one of his injuries was so bad that it completely broke their relationship. That was a while ago, I don't know what he said this week, but it wasn't exactly like he was the most liked person in the NFL in the first place, so I'll be stunned if there are a lot of people genuinely sad that he's gone. If you want to see a proper answer to this whole situation and you want to see what true leadership looks like, I would highly recommend finding Brandon Staley's response to the whole situation. He was asked about it during a press conference and he gave a really good, intelligent answer that really signifies what true leadership looks like and it signifies how good of a head coach and more than that, how good of a person he is. I would highly recommend finding his answer in the press conference to the Gruden situation because it was really good. Before we move on from this situation, we have to talk about the bigger picture because Gruden has resigned. He has 
faced the consequences of his actions. Good. However, the reason Gruden's emails were exposed in the first place was because of the ongoing NFL investigation into Dan Snyder and the running of the Washington football team. By the way, I should say that, was it Bruce Allen who worked for Washington for a time, sent pictures to John Gruden's work email from his work email of cheerleaders who had been forced to take topless photos. Just forget how absolutely wrong and vile that is. Why are you sending it on your work email? Huh? On your work email? Some people. But, anyway... This was part of the ongoing investigation into Dan Snyder of the Washington football team. And what's weird is that whilst that investigation has been raging on for quite a while now, nothing has implicated Dan Snyder in, in this whole fiasco. And nothing that would make him face the consequences of his actions, which would be having to sell the Washington football team. It stuns me. Except it doesn't stun me, but it stuns me that he's got away with what he's done so far, because we can just guarantee right now that Snyder has done very, very, very similar things, if not the exact same things, and yet he's not faced his comeuppance. It doesn't surprise me, though, because that's where the power in the NFL lies. It doesn't lie with the head coaches, it lies with the people who write the checks. And it would be genuinely horrifying to see... Gruden get punished, rightfully so, but not see Snyder get punished, because he's just as bad as Gruden, if not worse. It stuns me that nothing has come out yet regarding Dan Snyder, and luckily there are people fighting for what is right. An NFLPA spokesman has said that they're going to petition the NFL to release all of the findings of the investigation into the Washington football team. The players are really really wanting to see justice sort of prevail and it's the right thing to do i credit the nflpa for taking this stance and you know ho hopefully it will see results because there are lots of good people in the nfl genuinely good people who want to do the right thing but there are also a lot of john grudens this is not he's not the only one and until they're all weeded out, the battle's not over. Will, who will be coming back later in the podcast to talk about the Giants, he also had some things to say about the wider setting of this Gruden resignation. So here he is. Not to diminish, I guess, John Gruden's whole uh, set of comments, which are bad, but I think what is very interesting is that the NFL is essentially refusing to release any further parts of this email trove that they have, refusing to really, I think, contribute meaningfully to any blowback that might happen. They're basically covering up for Dan Snyder, uh, the uh, owner of the Washington football team, and uh, basically just kind of also signaling, I think, to a bunch of other people in the NFL that, like, hey, we have these records and every bad thing you've said on an email, which I guarantee a lot of coaches around the league have said, we have this. So don't criticize us. Don't get too cute. Because we will 
release this and and we will essentially have you fired. What is also uh, quite interesting as a move by some people in the NFL is the Buccaneers remove John Gruden from their ring of honor, despite the fact that they have actual accused sex offender and quite probable sex offender Antonio Brown on their roster. And just, I mean, it's, it's, it's comical what the NFL will tolerate, I guess, in terms of, you know, if you're a domestic abuser, if you are party to a rape, if you are a good player, they will defend you. But in some cases, you're gone, you know? And, and, and you know, there's just that, that whole controversy with Deshaun Jackson and his anti-Semitic comments that really seems to have resulted in no lasting consequences for him as a player. Uh, or really the perception, I guess, I assume, of, of a lot of people in the NFL, though I, I can't divine their inner thoughts. And just, you know, it's it's this very... Once again, the NFL, I think, shows exactly how far it's willing to uh, double up on some standards, should I say. But yeah, John Gruden's gone. Uh, I think for the better, I think there really wasn't any way he could conceivably stay in the locker room after all that. Um, I feel for the Raiders fans who are really hoping to have a good season this year, though it seems like they had already started on their collapse, which they tend to do just whenever we really think the Raiders are good. And uh, yeah. Very unfortunate time. I did want to say there was quite a funny <laughs> a funny post. I think it was before Gruden resigned. <laughs> of, um, of someone saying, I think we know what his resignation speech is going to look like or his apology is going to look like. He said, I've resigned as head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. I've learned a lot from these those emails and that's not who I am. I pride myself and think of myself as a man of faith as far as a deep drive into left field by Castellanos and it'll be a home run, so that'll be a 4 nothing ball game. I don't know if I'll be coaching in the NFL again. <laughs> I really liked that. I just thought that was really funny. I remember the Fox Sports reporter for the Cincinnati Reds with that. Really good reference. Anyway... We'll go into the actual games now because, funnily enough, that's actually why I, I do this podcast. I like to talk about the actual NFL. And let's start then with the best game from Week 5. Cleveland Browns 42, Los Angeles Chargers 47. Before this weekend, teams combined in the Super Bowl era were 401-0 and 0 when scoring 40 points and not having a turnover. And then there's Cleveland who had 42 points, no turnovers, and lost. How typical it is for the factory of sadness that they can do something that 401 teams in the NFL have done without losing and lose. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just typical of the old school Browns. We thought the Browns had sort of turned a corner and they absolutely have done but still they have their moments where the sadness just returns and engulfs them whole. Look, in, in all seriousness, I guess if you're a Browns fan you're probably annoyed about this because your odds of winning are literally as close to 100% as they could possibly be and yet they still found a way to lose. But they played phenomenally well on offense. 
like I said, Vic put up 42 points, didn't commit a turnover. You can't really be annoyed at that, but the defence just couldn't stop that Chargers offence at all, and, you know, I don't blame them. That is a phenomenal offence Los Angeles have, and let's talk about that offence. Justin Herbert, he played phenomenally again, 26-43, 398 yards, four touchdowns, a pass rating of 122. Austin Eckler had a great game, 66 yards rushing, 53 yards receiving. He played phenomenally. Mike Williams as well, he was phenomenal, 165 yards off eight receptions, two touchdowns as well. Austin Eckler, by the way, he had three touchdowns. And they were phenomenal throughout. Herbert made some absolutely exceptional throws. The two touchdowns to Mike Williams, both from really long touchdowns. They were both phenomenal. Austin Eckler had a long touchdown run as well. The offense for the Chargers, they were just exceptional. And it carries on what we thought about this Chargers offense from the start of the year. They are going to be one of the harder ones to stop in the entirety of the NFL. That's not to say the Cleveland Browns offense wasn't good themselves. Baker Mayfield, he arguably had a better game than Justin Herbert. 23 for 32, two touchdowns, 305 yards. Pass rate of 122.5. Nick Chubb had a phenomenal game, 161 yards on the ground. And David Njoku, turning out to be the Cleveland Browns' best wide receiver, 149 yards receiving. And it seemed like the Browns had an answer for pretty much everything the Chargers did. And bearing in mind... But this Browns offense, which I personally wouldn't rate as highly as the Chargers offense, coming up against a top 10 defense in the Chargers, played phenomenally. Or, or I don't know if the Chargers are currently top 10 in defense. They're going to be by the end of the year, though. But then again, the Chargers also came up against a really good Cleveland Browns defense. And they played phenomenally. To be honest, I'm more optimistic about both of these sides now than I was before this game, because both have shown how well they can do against really tough AFC opponents. And who knows, this could end up being the conference championship game. We'll get on to another team who will be really up there with these two. But these two are looking really, really strong. The intelligence of the Browns to push Austin Eckler into the end zone on that final touchdown drive was absolutely fantastic. It was annoying. I, I put in our group chat the Browns are being annoyingly competent because that's what <laughs> that moment felt like. It was This is what the really good, smart teams do. And this is not something the Cleveland Browns would have done 10 years ago. It's oh, so frustrating. But they're playing phenomenally. They deserve a lot of credit for how they approach this game. And to be honest, a five-point loss to the Los Angeles Chargers when they played so strongly on offense, it's not really anything worth complaining about. For the Chargers... They're now clearly the class of the AFC West. I don't think anyone can really argue with that. And we'll get on to why a certain other team aren't the class of the AFC West anymore. But they are just so fun to watch. I absolutely love watching the Chargers right now. Justin Herbert is a phenomenal quarterback. I love everything about them. And I just want to see them do really well, even with Spanos in charge. That's how good they are. Sometimes you can get that the Spanos family are running the Chargers and that they're awful. <laughs> but yeah credit to Justin Herbert credit to Brandon Staley they're putting together a really good team down there and they deserve a lot of praise for how they've been doing and fingers crossed this great run continues for them 
The Cleveland Browns are three and two. They're third in the AFC North. The Los Angeles Chargers are four and one. They're first in the AFC West. So the reason the Chargers are now the leading side in the AFC West is because of another game. Buffalo Bills 38, Kansas City Chiefs 20. I don't want to say that this is a changing of the guard in the AFC because Kansas is still clearly a really, really good side. But this is definitely a reordering of the guard in the AFC. Before this week, I would have had no problems saying that the Kansas City Chiefs were the best side in the AFC. I can't say that now. Not only because they're 2-3, and three, but because this was just a really bad performance. The Chiefs were completely flat in the first half. Went into the break 24-13 down. Then they had that really long weather delay. And if anything was going to change the fortunes of the Chiefs, it should have been that weather delay. Buffalo went into that half hot, really hot. And by the time they came out for the second half, they should have been completely cold. And I think we talked about this on Good Morning Football, you know, they've not got their music, they've got the, the cold sandwiches. And just no atmosphere in that cold, damp, away locker room. And when they come out, they should be far, far worse than you. The Chiefs came out of the second half, they were completely flat. They only put up seven points. I mean, I guess it wasn't really over because, you know, Patrick Mahomes, you, you never doubt him. But they were just flat for the entire game. They were just dreadful. And worst of all, most concerning is how bad the defence is. For the first few weeks, you kind of just thought, oh, well, they'll get it together eventually. No, no, this, this side is really bad, defensively. Paul Hembaikidis on Twitter, I think that's how you say your name, I'm not sure. He talked about how bad the Chiefs' defence is, and he said, on a per-play basis, the most prolific offence in history is the 2,000 Rams. They average seven yards per play. The 2021 Chiefs, are allowing 7.1 yards per play. They're making all other offences in the NFL look like the 2000 St. Louis Rams. That's bad. That's very bad. I don't know how this gets better. And, and of course, yeah, they're playing the Buffalo Bills, who are one of the better offences in the NFL. But it feels like the only way the Chiefs are ever going to win a football game is by having that sort of M plus 1 equals victory. They've got to outscore the opponents if their offence has a bad day. And it's very rare that the Chiefs' offence has a bad day, but this was one of them. Then they're just not going to win. They're not even going to be close to winning. And it was a bad day for the Chiefs' offence. Patrick Mahomes only had a pass rating of 70.9. He threw two interceptions. Both of them were dreadful. No rusher got into the game. Bar Mahomes, the top rusher, was Davil Williams on 27 yards. And even the usually reliable Kansas City... Receiving call just didn't really do anything. McCall Hardman kind of had a good game. That was it, really. Nothing worked for the Chiefs. And as the rain started to pour in Arrowhead, you thought, oh boy, this is Chiefs weather. This is Chiefs territory. Here we go. No. No, they just did nothing through the entire game. They they were dreadful. They are playing like a team who are 2-3. and three, And they are 2-3. and three. I don't know how this gets better at the moment. They're going to be a good side. They're going to make the playoffs. But God forbid, I don't see them beating a tough side when they get there.
there are serious questions about the Chiefs. They need to transform rapidly if they want to keep the good times going. And they will eventually recover because they've got Andy Reid, one of the best head coaches in the NFL. They've got Patrick Mahomes, the best quarterback in the NFL. They're fine. But to elevate them back to the level they were at before, it feels like they need to change something. The issue, more than anything else, is that Kansas have been consistently really good, but teams are starting to overtake them. And with that defence, they can't cope. So, it's going to be interesting to see how Kansas approaches. It, it's not the death now. It's not the death now of what could be the dynasty of the 2020s. But it's really not looking good at the moment. For Buffalo, what a game. What a fantastic game, especially for Josh Allen, who was phenomenal. 15 of 26, 315 yards, three touchdowns, 139.1. It felt like... And I know this is against a Kansas defense, but we've already just gone through how, how bad they are. But it felt like he was just able to bomb it down the field every single time and get those massive plays. He only completed 15 passes, but they went for 315 yards. That tells you how explosive that Buffalo offense was. Buffalo's defense as well, they kept the Kansas City Chiefs in check. And I've sort of been mm, about Buffalo's defense. I've always, to me, struck me as a middle-of-the-road sort of defense with some electric players, but who, for the most part, you know, they're not going to single-handedly win the game. But they played phenomenally. The proof is in the Chiefs' stats. It does lead to quite an interesting question about who the favorites for the AFC are now. Because at the start of the year, it was Kansas for me. But now... I don't I honestly don't know. It's for me it's between Buffalo, Baltimore, Cleveland and the Chargers at the moment. The Chiefs are like the fifth best side of the AFC, which is so weird to say. But it could be any of them. It's a really, really open AFC. And I hope the Chargers win it. I'm so biased. But <laughs> yeah, it could it could be anyone at the moment. And hopefully it'll make the football more exciting. Kansas need to improve our defence any chance of winning the Super Bowl this year. And we should be able to. Steve Spagnolo's a really good defensive coordinator. But something needs to change. It needs to change fast. There was a couple of things in this game that the officiating was a bit strange. And I agreed with most of the holding calls because it seemed like Buffalo went in there going, well, Kansas get away with a lot of holding, so we're just going to hold as well. And the ref spotted it every time. There weren't many holding calls to disagreed with. But there were quite a few calls that were a bit strange. There was that point in, I believe, the third quarter. Where there was a point in like the third quarter, I think. Where I believe it was Buffalo were called for holding. And it was really dumb. And then Kansas were called for roughing the passer. And it was also really dumb. And it was just, it was so frustrating at that point. But yeah, the officiating was a bit weird at points. I don't think it was as bad as people are making it out to be online, but it wasn't great. And I do have to mention before we move on, just because it cheers me up, Cole Beasley has deactivated his Twitter account. <laughs> he Obviously, we talked about this last week. He had a go at the Buffalo fans who were booing him. And he's received so much negative sort of criticism from Buffalo fans who are rightfully fed up with his crap 
that he's had to deactivate his Twitter account. I love you, Buffalo. I love you so, so much. <laughs> anyway, the Buffalo Bills are 4-1. and one. They're first in the AFC East. The Kansas City Chiefs are 2-3. and three. They're fourth in the AFC West. Let me say that again, just in case you didn't believe me. The Kansas City Chiefs are 2-3. and three, Same as the Eagles. They're fourth in the AFC West. Fourth. They're on the same record as the Atlanta Falcons. Think about how much we've been moaning about them. Jesus. Indianapolis Colts 25, Baltimore Ravens 31 after overtime. I will stress that I didn't watch this game. Obviously, it's Monday Night Football, and I'm trying to recover my sleep habits, but it's not going too well at the moment. But still, I didn't want to watch this game, to be honest, and I thought it would be a decisive Ravens victory from the get-go. It didn't end up being that way. Obviously, the game finished in overtime. But I do want to start by talking about that flop. Jesus Christ. That was beyond blatant. It was Jack Doyle who, who flopped. And... Jesus Christ. It was so bad. It was so blatant. It was almost as blatant as that Vegas player kicking the puck. Grumble, grumble, grumble. <sighs> Shocking NHL officiating. Anyway, it, it was a really blatant flop, and yet they still... <laughs> they still gave unnecessary roughness. Like, come on. Really? Luckily... The Colts got their comeuppance because Rodrigo Blankenship missed a 47-yard field goal. And obviously it's a shame because the Colts didn't win as a result of that, and I'm a Steelers fan. And because Rodrigo Blankenship is just a wonderful human being. But still, they, they didn't deserve to score after that call. That call was ridiculous. And then, of course, Baltimore going win it in overtime. At the start of the year... I was of the opinion, as were many people, that Baltimore couldn't just rely on their, their run game. I've I've always sort of taken a saying with me through life, which is adapt or die. If you don't keep changing and keep improving, keep embracing change, people are going to catch up. And maybe, you know, the Chiefs prove that because they've been consistently good. Are consistently great in fact, but now other teams it feels like are overtaking them in terms of overall quality. And this is something I thought Baltimore had to understand as well, because as good as their run game was, they couldn't just rely on it forever. And it unfairly, and I thought this at the time, it unfairly led to people just calling Lamar Jackson a glorified running back. It was clear he was a really good thrower, he just didn't use it enough. He's now using it. 37 for 43, 442 yards, four touchdowns, pass rate of 140.5. It's safe to say that that was one of the single best throwing games. Definitely this season, maybe of all time. It was that good. And it's, as an, if I put my neutral hat on, it is so nice to see the Ravens finally embracing the throwing game. Because they're clearly really good at it. And if they adapt to have that really potent mixed offense, they will be way better than they are just running the ball all the time. And, yeah. 
it was really good to see them throw the ball because clearly Lamar Jackson is a really, really good quarterback. And he showed it here. He did also run a bit, uh, 14 carries for 62 yards. But for the most part, this was a Lamar Jackson throwing masterclass. And he got his receivers involved. Mark Andrews had a really good game, 147 yards receiving for tight end. Marquise Brown, the wide receiver, also having a really good game, 125 yards receiving. If Baltimore can keep this up, they are definitely a prime contender for the AFC. And deserve to be. This was this was definitely for me, even though it's not against the strongest side in the NFL. And even though they've beaten the Chiefs, who we've now established are the worst team in the NFL, that's obviously a joke. This is the most encouraging performance I've seen from Baltimore all year. Granted, I didn't watch the game. But looking at the stats, this is, for me, by far the most encouraging. Carson Wentz had a good game, by the way. They, the Colts kept it closer than I think anyone expected. Carson Wentz, a pass rating of 128.5. And Marlon Mack, when he was allowed to run, did a good job. Jonathan Taylor, by the way, not great running the ball, which is weird considering he's a running back. 53 yards off 15 carries, that's 3.5 yards per carry. But he had 116 yards receiving. So fair play to him. But yeah, I, credit to the Colts. They did keep it closer than I think anyone really expected. The Indianapolis Colts are 1-4. and four, They're third in the AFC South. The Baltimore Ravens are 4-1. and one, They're first in the AFC North. Let's go to the Thursday night football then. Los Angeles Rams 26, Seattle Seahawks 17. Okay, so the first thing we have to talk about. That double punt. That was just the best thing I've, I've seen in the NFL in, in quite a long time. It's weird, I've been following the NFL now since 2010. And you still see things that you've never seen before. This was Michael Dickerson, the punter for the Seattle Seahawks. Got the snap, tried to pump the ball, it was blocked by the Rams. And then he recovered the ball, picked it up and punted it again. A double punt! I've never seen a double punt in the NFL before, and it, it was illegal at one point, but it does turn out that it was actually a legal punt. The NFL rulebook states, a second kick from behind the line of scrimmage is legal, provided the ball had not crossed the line. And when the ball was blocked, it hadn't crossed the line of scrimmage, so it was a perfectly legal second punt. And I just, I love seeing things in the NFL that I've never seen before. It's, it's always wonderful. It's one of the best things about watching American football is it still has the opportunity to just bring up wild, crazy, weird things you've never seen before and it'd be perfectly acceptable and the rulebook has somehow covered it. And yeah, it, it was really, it was a really fun play and that was good because for me at least, watching it back on Friday morning, the rest of the game wasn't that good it was fairly underwhelming to be honest Matthew Stafford had a reasonable game pass rating of 97.3 Darrell Henderson you know he ran well and Robert Woods had a great game receiving which is why I'm so annoyed I didn't start him in fantasy even though he's on my team it's the first time he's played well all year seemingly and yeah it, it was a game it was a game. Obviously, the main thing that came from this game was that Russell Wilson was injured. He was having a okay-ish game. 
against that Rams defense. Geno Smith. Do you remember him? Geno Smith had to come in. And he actually played really well on that first drive that he had. When he threw the touchdown to DK Metcalf. It was a genuinely really impressive drive capped off by a good throw. But that's not going to help settle the Seattle fans who are now having to cope with the fact that Russell Wilson is probably going to be out between six and eight weeks. Which isn't great. And nobody else really carried the load for Seattle on the day. DK Metcalf did have quite a good game, but obviously helps when you've got Russell Wilson. Then again, he did catch the pass off Geno Smith. Geno Smith had a pass rate of 78.3, which is not bad for your first NFL game in years. But obviously very worrying for Seattle going forward. It really damages their chances of getting into the playoffs for the Los Angeles Rams. They're now 4-1. And, and still playing good football, but to be honest, this game just wasn't that good. It does bring me on to another point, though. Geno Smith did play in this game, and... He was part of the 2013 quarterback draft class, which I think, to be honest, might be one of the worst quarterback draft classes we've had in the NFL in recent years. Geno Smith didn't actually lead the draft class. It was EJ Manuel, who I remember was selected by the Buffalo Bills with a 16th overall pick and ended up being not great. I, I loved him on Madden. He was great on Madden. I don't know why. But I had him as like my backup quarterback uh, on Madden 25 or whatever. And he was phenomenal. Even though he was like only 70 overall, he, he was great. Anyway, EJ Manuel taken with the 16th pick in the first round. And Geno Smith taken 39th overall by the Jets. And then after that, the, the list is honestly just kind of depressing. Mike Glennon taken 73rd. Matt Barkley taken 98th, Ryan Nassib taken 110th, Tyler Wilson 112th, Landry Jones 115th, Pittsburgh fans, do you remember them three weeks when Landry Jones seemed like the answer and then it turned out he really wasn't? Oh, fun times. Brad Tomlinson taken 221st by the San Diego Chargers, Zach Dysart taken 234th, BJ Daniels taken 237th, Sean Renfrey taken 249th. I would consider myself a, a big fan of the NFL. There are many names on that list I can't even tell you anything about. I can't tell you about Tyler Wilson, Brad Sorensen, BJ Daniels and Sean Renfrey. I've never heard them names before in my life. And yeah, what a list. What a genuinely terrible list. The 2013 NFL quarterback draft class Really not one to be pinning your hopes on. And maybe, you know, we're going to see the same thing in 2021 because... Or 2022, I should say. Because... Just the quarterback prospects don't look that good. Wouldn't want to be a team who are having to pick one of them as their next franchise quarterback, would you? Pittsburgh. Anyway, the Los Angeles Rams are 4-1, they're second in the NFC West, the Seattle Seahawks are 2-3, they're third in the NFC West. We're going to kind of rush through the rest of the games now, because we've gone through the more interesting games. Green Bay Packers 25, Cincinnati Bengals 22 after overtime. Well then, uh, was there something in the air in Cincinnati that day? Because, good God, kicking... 
the the kicking game for both teams just completely flew out the window. There were five missed field goals in the last eight minutes, and it's not like all of them from 60 yards out. Some of them were, you know, fairly easy field goals, and both kickers, Mason Crosby and Evan McPherson, just had a nightmare. It looked like no one was going to break the tie. Eventually, Bengals got into field goal range in overtime, and Evan McPherson kicked what looked like the game-winning field goal, but in fact just missed. It was the correct call. If I said that straight away, I thought I went missed. And the officials indicated missed field goal, and Evan McPherson was celebrating, going, Woohoo, I did it, I'm the star! But he wasn't, because he had actually missed. And the Packers went straight over the other end. And Mason Crosby, finally, after what was a genuinely dreadful day for him, and he's, you know, he's been one of the best kickers in the NFL over the last few years, but it was a truly atrocious game for him. Finally snapped out of it and kicked the game-winning field goal. And ended it at last. I mean, Jesus Christ, the kicking was just dreadful. It was genuinely just horrific. But I want to talk about Cincinnati. Because over the last few weeks, I've said... Yeah, they've got a 3-1 record, but they've not beaten anyone genuinely challenging. They've beaten a Minnesota side who seemed to just shoot themselves in the foot, a Steelers side who didn't have a defence at all, and a Jaguars side who have lost now 20 straight games. So they need to show they can, they can really compete with the big boys. This game proved it. This is the game for me, out of all of them, even though it was a loss, that is the most encouraging for Cincinnati Bengals going forward because... They've got the players. They've got the players. They competed well against a good Green Bay side. And, you know, they look like they're in the right direction now. Joe Burrow had a really good game for the most part. You know, he looked really strong through 281 yards, had two touchdowns. There was the interception in overtime was genuinely one of the most dreadful things I've ever seen. Honestly, if I didn't know better, you'd think he was rigging the game against his own side because he just threw it straight ahead into the path of a Packer who was like two yards ahead of him. So that wasn't great. But for the most part, Joe Burrow, really, really encouraging performance. And, you know, he, he is the thing that's going to carry this side to success. And the thing is as well for me is that he makes, he elevates players. And that's what's most encouraging. He's elevating the team around him to play a lot better than they actually are. And that's what I'm most encouraged about. Joe Burrow is making his team better. They play better with him. It's not just because they've magically got better, but because he's making them better. And so credit to him for that. He still was outgunned by Aaron Rodgers because it turns out Aaron Rodgers is really good at football. 27 for 39, 344 yards, two touchdowns, an interception, a pass rating of 103. He played phenomenally, Aaron Jones. He had a good game as well. But Devontae Adams, the main guy, wow, what a performance. 206 yards. He was phenomenal. The Rodgers Adams partnership working really well. And there was, I do, I do want to mention, there was that moment where the, that snap was off centre and ended up like Aaron Rodgers to give it to Aaron Jones to sort of like deflected it with the outside of his hand. That was quite funny. Go and look LP if you can find it. But all in all, yeah, the Bengals are now a genuinely good side. It feels weird. Maybe they can not lose in the wildcard round once they get back into the playoffs eventually. Great.
Or not great, because I'm a Steelers fan. Anyway, the Green Bay Packers are 4-1 and one their first in the NFC North. The Cincinnati Bengals are 3-2 and two their second in the AFC North. New England Patriots 25, Houston Texans 22. Will locks the Patriots. And that nearly went horribly wrong, because the Texans actually kept up with Bill Belichick's Patriots. And, you know, very easily could have won this game. A lot of credit has to go to Davis Mills, who was simply phenomenal. 21 for 29, 312 yards, three touchdowns, a passer rating, get this, of 141.7. That Patriots defense, you know, it's, it's middle of the park. So it's not like he was taking on, I don't know, the Kansas defense. But he played absolutely phenomenally nfl research on twitter texan starter davis mills is only the second rookie quarterback to throw three plus passing touchdowns against bill belichick's patriots in a single game the only other quarterback who's been able to do it russell wilson week 6 2012 if you couldn't hear that that was my mind exploding he was phenomenal and he didn't really get any help from the run game either. He was just really, really good. And arguably the most impressive player in the NFL this week. Credit to him. Of course, the rest of the team, they didn't help him. There was a punt for zero yards in this game, which is very, very impressive. The punt from Cameron Johnson sort of just skimmed the head of one of his players and it made it fly off in a random direction it went out at the line of scrimmage so that was a zero yard punt great simply great and then of course the texans defense sort of collapsed on that final drive mac jones didn't have as good a game as davis mills that would have been really hard to achieve but he looked so calm and collected on that final drive he did everything he needed to do when he needed to do it. And that's what got the Patriots for winning the end. It was the great play of Mac Jones. The Texans aren't going to have a lot of success this year. But this was genuinely very encouraging for the Patriots. They're not very good. So, a win is a win. you got to take it. The New England Patriots are 2-3. and three. They're second in the AFC East. The Houston Texans are 1-4. and four. They're second in the AFC South. Second. With a 1-4 and four record. Yes, really. At least we know now the Titans have won the division by default. Let's go on to the London game then. New York Jets 20, Atlanta Falcons 27. Before anything else, the national anthem, the US one sung at the stadium. That was terrifying. If you don't know... Tottenham Hotspur Stadium has this skywalk you can go on. Right at the very top of the stadium. It's this little ledge thing that hangs over the field. And you're buckled up to this railing. And you can peer over the edge and have a look. And there's nothing, once you're up there, separating you from the edge. You could, like, even though you're attached, you could, I guess, technically, I'm guessing the sort of, like, leash thing you're on isn't long enough but you could like fall over and you know it's for your enthusiasts of heights that are more enthusiastic about heights than i am I'm, i wouldn't say i'm scared of heights but jesus christ just looking over the edge they did a piece about it on sky sports news once it made me feel queasy 
and I, I wouldn't say I'm scared of heights normally, but Jesus Christ, I look terrifying. Anyway, when they did the US National Anthem at the stadium, it was performed on that ledge by the singer. It was like high-altitude singing. It was phenomenal. I couldn't have done it. I would have been absolutely petrified and also be a bit weird for me to be singing the US National Anthem anyway, but, you know, we'll forget that. And... Yeah, just a phenomenal performance from from the singer doing it. Credit to her. That was that was phenomenal. Anyway, talking about the game itself, then this was a real breakout performance of Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts was phenomenal in this game. Nine receptions, 119 yards, one touchdown. This was his real breakout performance, and it shouldn't have taken like the entire Falcons wide receiver core becoming injured for Arthur Smith to go. Okay, we'll throw to him. Because he's clearly really, really, really good and really hard for a defensive coordinator to answer. Like, who do you put him up against? Because there's not really anyone in the NFL who can go up against him in a one-on-one battle. The only way you could really have someone do that is if you stole some of his DNA and cloned him. But don't do that. I don't think the defensive coordinator is going to, you know, illegally clone someone just to try and help with an NFL game but still he was absolutely phenomenal and the Falcons really need to utilize him more because he is clearly a very special talent it was also nice to see Matt Ryan have another great game 33 for 45 342 yards two touchdowns pass rate of 109.7 over the last three weeks he's had 868 yards and eight touchdowns to no interceptions Matt Ryan is still playing at a really good level in the NFL, and this is why it really annoyed me when people were going, oh, you got to get rid of him and reboot fully. No, he can really help with this rebuilding Falcon side because he's still a really, really good quarterback. Please stop underrating him. The Falcons, of course, did nearly Falcons in the end. They were up 23 of a half-time break and then just completely stalled as the Jets started to come back into the game. But... They sort of like recovered themselves towards the end, did get the win. And they've now gone two and three on the year. They've beaten both New York sides. It's going to take a lot of time to figure this out, but they are not the worst side in the NFL, which is good for them anyway. And, you know, hopefully they start to move in the correct direction. Obviously, two wins against two not very good sides, but I have faith in the project they have there in Atlanta Started to have less faith from New York Jets. It wasn't a good game for them. They should have been doing better against the Atlanta Falcons. No one stood out. No one performed well. But early days. Early days. One and four. They're not going to lose every game this season. So that's that's good. Two more things to mention before we move on. First of all, the Falcons forgot their kicking net. For Kiki Youngway Koo to kick into before he, you know, took the field. So they, they had a makeshift solution. They took two step ladders and a soccer goal net, and they put them together to make a makeshift kicking net. It was absolutely fantastic. You know, you've got to love that DIY going on there. And the other thing to mention, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium paid tribute to Chris Wessling, the member of the Around the NFL podcast who passed away before the last Super Bowl due to his battle with cancer. And it was just very touching to see him tributed and have such a warm round of applause from the crowd at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium that day. Really nice. 
and great to have fans back at the international game in London. We missed it daily last year. Fans from all sides were there. It was really nice seeing, of course, we've got another one next week, which is, again, not a good game. Who schedules these? Can we have good sides in London for once? Please. Anyway, the New York Jets are 1-4. and four. They're fourth in the AFC East. The Atlanta Falcons are 2-3. and three. They're fourth in the NFC South. Detroit Lions, 17. Minnesota Vikings, 19. Do you ever just want to hug a Lions fan? You know, it's okay, it'll get better. <sighs> they did it again. They had another heartbreaking finish to a game. Just when it looked like they were going to win. Defeat was snatched from the jaws of victory. Again. <sighs> so, the Vikings had it on... Third and seven of their own 21-yard line with a chance to ice the game if they'd got a first down. And on that play, with about two minutes left, Alexander Mattison fumbled and gave the ball back to the Lions. And you thought, oh my God, this is their chance to finally win a game. They were down 16-9 at that point. And... They march quickly up the field from where they were. They were already at like the 20-yard line. They marched up. They got a touchdown with 37 seconds to go. And at this point, Dan Campbell, credit to him, showed some cajones. Because he went for the two-point conversion. They were down at that point 15-16. So the extra point ties the game at 16-all. But no, he's not interested. He goes for two-point conversion, and they got it. They got it. They went 17-16 up. Finally, the Lions are going to win a game, and they've done it with such a ballsy play. Fantastic. Credit to them. And then the Vikings immediately marched down the field, going to field goal range, to keep the field goal one. I thought this was it. I thought this was going to be their time. Finally. And the Vikings just sort of shut them down on that last drive. I'm still not over it. I'm not even a Lions fan. Dan Campbell, after the game, he was in tears. Talking about how much commitment the guys have put in, how great they've been, and how they've deserved to win a game. There is an alternate universe where the Lions are 2-3, and three, maybe even 3-2, and two, and no one bats an eyelid. And, yeah, they're 0-5. And... I just don't know what the solution is. It's just the football gods have truly abandoned Detroit. Just completely. I guess this was the first bad game Jared Goff had. He only had a pass rating of 64.3. He's been solid since joining the Detroit Lions. But this just wasn't a good game for him. And, you know, they only put up 17 points. So it's not like they can complain too much about losing. But just with how... Close they were again, and this time it, it wasn't the fault of officiating. Should say that because with the Baltimore game, it was definitely the fault of officiating. This time it was just them being bad, but you just got to feel for them. I'm starting to worry about the Vikings because they're two and three, and yes, they should have beaten Arizona, but also they shouldn't have beaten Arizona because you know they missed the kick, and they should have maybe beaten the Bengals, but. They're just... This was a really, really bad game. 
Par Alexander Mattson, who did play really well, oh, and Justin Jefferson, they only put up 19 points against the Lions, who, you know, are not the best side defensively. So, the Vikings, it feels really weird. They both feel like they're underachieving with a 2-3 and three record, and, you know, they feel like they're a good side, but they also feel like a really bad side at the same time. I don't know how that works, but I'm, I'm way less optimistic about the Vikings now than I was, like, in week two. Or after week two, when they had an 0-2 record. A lot of people going, oh, this Minnesota side silently better than they are, and it feels right, but at the same time, it also feels really wrong, because they should be putting up more than 19 points at home to the Lions. So who knows how good they are. They need to impress more for me. Anyway... The Detroit Lions are 0-5, they're fourth in the NFC North. <sighs> so, so disappointing. The Minnesota Vikings are 2-3, and three, they're third in the NFC North. Denver Broncos 19, Pittsburgh Steelers 27. Finally, the Steelers look like a football team again. It took a while, but we got there. And, you know, everyone played well. Ben Roethlisberger, he had a really good game. Pass rate of 120.9. He made good deep throws. He looked competent at last. You know, I've got a few worries now about him as, as the quarterback for the Steelers this year. And bearing in mind, that was against a really good Denver defense. One of the best in the league. Najee Harris as well. He had a good game. 22 yards rushing somehow. Still don't think they should have drafted him, to be honest. But the bad news comes from the fact that Juju Smith-Schuster is now out for the year. That's not promising. And it is worth pointing out that the Broncos' offense, not the best in the league, did nearly come back. They had 13 points in the fourth quarter. They were on the goal line with a chance to tie the game before that last-second interception. And, yeah, I, I really didn't enjoy the fourth quarter from this game. But you know what? After what the Steelers have been going through over the last few weeks. The fact I was convinced the Broncos were going to win. And win comfortably. I will take this. I will take this win. And it is worth mentioning. We have to talk about this at some point. Kendall Hinton. Two receptions. 25 yards. But you might remember Kendall Hinton was the guy who played quarterback for the Broncos last year. When they didn't have any quarterbacks. He was the practice squad wide receiver. Still stuck around with the side. And he, he got some some receptions in this game, and a touchdown. So, surprisingly nice to see him. It was annoying at the time, but now that the Steelers have won, I can say it was nice to see him back. Nice to see that he's still in the NFL after what happened last year, and credit to him. But yeah, for the most part, just happy that the Steelers won. They have the same record as the Kansas City Chiefs. Nope, don't get that. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I'll take it. I'm not going to complain. There was... Some really encouraging signs in this game. There were some signs that were not so great. The defence collapsing in the fourth quarter wasn't good. If the Steelers can stay healthy, and I know Juju's out for the season, but if the Steelers can stay healthy for the most part, then they should have a reasonable season. I'm not expecting the playoffs at this point, but, you know, let's try and keep that non-losing season streak going. That's going to be a challenge, to be honest. But... Anyway, the Denver Broncos are 3-2. and two. By the way, I'm not really worried about the Broncos from this one game. The Steelers' defense is quite good for the most part. They are third in the AFC West. The Pittsburgh Steelers are 2-3. and three. They're fourth in the AFC North. 
Philadelphia Eagles, 21. Carolina Panthers, 18. Yeah. Might, it turns out Sam Darnold might not be great. He had a really bad game against what is not the best defense in Philadelphia Eagles. 21 for 37, 177 yards, one touchdown, three interceptions, a pass rating of 44.5. The Panthers were just dreadful. The Panthers were just truly dreadful. Bar Chubba Hubbard, as I like to call him, who had 101 yards running the ball. For the most part, they just looked bad. Philadelphia got 21 points in this game. And that's not a great total. But it's against a really good defence in the Carolina Panthers. Jalen Hurts didn't have a good game, but again, it was against the Panthers. And they did win in the end. They did come back to win. And, you know, at one point, it looked like it was going to be quite a comfortable victory for the Panthers. Especially when they got that safety. What was that safety? If you haven't seen it, go and look it up. But Jesus Christ. Oh, my God. Anyway. They did come back into this game. By the way, Devonta Smith, really good game from him. Seven receptions, 77 yards. Really good. And, you know, I think right now he's looking like one of the better picks from the first round of the draft this year. Brett Coleman on Twitter. The Eagles are currently on pace to receive an extra top three pick from the Dolphins this spring. And it all it cost them was trading down six spots last year to draft a receiver that is currently outproducing the receiver that Miami drafted with their pick anyway. I had Devonta Smith going ahead of Jalen Waddle in my mock draft. And on the basis of these first five weeks of the season, that was absolutely the correct call. Devonta Smith so far was looking like by far the better wide receiver than Jalen Waddle in the NFL. And yeah, he deserves a lot of praise. He's been playing phenomenally. He's one of my favourite rookies to watch at the moment. Anyway, the Philadelphia Eagles are 2-3. They're third in the NFC East. The Carolina Panthers are 3-2. They're second in the NFC South. Okay, going through the rest of the games then. It's all like a five matches, five minutes style, but not really. New Orleans Saints, 33. Washington football team, 22. That Hail Mary from Jameis Winston was good, eh? That's pretty much the only thing I remember from this game. He had a good game. 108.2 pass rate. Galvin Kamava played really well as well, as did Marquez Callaway. The Saints won. You'd expect them to win. Taylor Heineke, if he's trying to win the starting job in Washington full-time, he's not doing a very good job of it. 47.6 pass rating. Sorry. Heineke Hive! Forgot to do that. And, yeah. Washington have had a interesting week. Obviously, I think it's going to get way more interesting later on. But, the Saints won. They deserve to win. I didn't see much of this game. And to be honest, I really didn't want to have to watch it. But that Hail Mary to end the first half, that was phenomenal. Anyway, the New Orleans Saints are 3-2. and two. They're third in the NFC South. Washington football team, 2-3, and three, second in the NFC East. San Francisco 49ers, 10. Arizona Cardinals, 17. Well, this game was way less entertaining than I was expecting. I thought this was going to be phenomenal. I thought it was going to be really interesting to see how Trey Lanston in his first start. The answer was bad, 58.4 passer rating. And whilst Kyler Murray played well, the Cardinals were just meh. It was just meh. DeAndre Hopkins, for the first time in forever, was the highest receiver on the Cardinals, 87 yards receiving. But, you know, they only put up 17 points against a depleted 
49ers side. And first time we've said that. They are still a really good defence, though, so give them credit for that. But for the most part, you know, Trey Lance, he had growing pains in his first ever NFL start. Great running the ball. Absolutely fantastic when he ran the ball. There was that really impressive stand when he ran it on fourth down on the goal line where the Cardinals kept him out. That was really impressive. But for the most part, this game was just a bit meh. It went the way we expected it to, but it wasn't an exciting game by any means. So, to be honest, let's just move on. The 49ers are 2-3, and three, their fourth in the NFC West. The Arizona Cardinals are 5-0, and oh, still the only undefeated side in the NFL, first in the NFC West. Chicago Bears, 20, Las Vegas Raiders, 9, obviously. Different stuff has now sort of stolen the Raiders' news cycle. But for the most part, we expected the Raiders to win this. And they just didn't. They, they were bad. Derek Carr had by far his worst game of the season so far. He was very uninspiring. 67.1 passer rating. No one really played well on the Raiders. They only put up 9 points against a... Eh, Chicago defence. Who have put in some good and bad performances. Justin Fields is continuing to show how good he is. Only a passer rating of 91.9. Which is, you know, average. But... Credit to him, he's growing into the role of starting quarterback. Credit to Matt Nagy, who seems to be developing the playbook more for him. I'm optimistic about their future. They got a impressive win against Las Vegas. They kept Vegas's really good offense quiet. So this is more impressive on the defensive side. But, you know, I'm optimistic about the Bears going forward. I was not that way a few weeks ago. The Chicago Bears are 3-2. They're second in the NFC North. The Las Vegas Raiders are 3-2. They are second in the AFC West. New York Giants 20. Dallas Cowboys 44. For this, we turn to Giants fan Will. All right. And the Giants lose to the Cowboys 44 to, I think, 20 or something near that. Honestly, the score here doesn't matter very much. What really matters is the fact that everything broke. All of our players got hurt. Uh, Saquon got hurt. Daniel Jones got hurt. Kenny Galladay got hurt. Uh, on top of the fact that Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton were injured before the game and Andrew Thomas was on the sidelines. Yeah, this game really wasn't going to go any other way, but what really sucks is that we're probably going to get even more blown out by the Rams because like all of our players can't play. So, yeah, I really, I mean, the bright spot here really was Kadarius Tony. You know, it sucks that he had that punch, he had that ejection, but he seems to be contrite over that. It just, I don't know, like, this this was a, a bad game. Our O-line was absolutely horrendous without Andrew Thomas. Nate Solder continues to be one of Gettleman's worst free agent signings, which is pretty impressive given that most of his free agent signings have been absolutely terrible. I mean, there should be no reason, given our high number of draft picks, uh, we should be cap crunch right now, but we are. Uh, so yeah, I, I think David Gettleman really needs to go. I'll renew that call until the day I die. But yeah, there really isn't uh, anything else you can take from this other than we are injured, we're not very good, and honestly, this year is probably going to be the fire everyone you can but Daniel Jones and let the new GM sort it out. Thanks, Will. Refereeing. 
dreadful in this game. They get every break under the Sun of Dallas Cowboys. I loved Kadarius Tony. But anyway, the New York Giants are 1-4. and four. They're fourth in the NFC East. The Dallas Cowboys are poor and won their first in the NFC East. Tennessee Titans 37, Jacksonville Jaguars 19. I should correct something from last week. I said the Jaguars had lost 20 games in a row last week. They'd actually only lost 19 at that point. They've now lost 20 games in a row and in doing so become only the third team in 102 NFL seasons to lose 20 games in a row. Not satisfied with 1-0. and oh. Should have been. This game went exactly as expected. If the Jaguars don't support Urban Meyer anymore, the players, they are doing a very good job of hiding that, on the pitch at least. Trevor Lawrence did have a good game, 92.1 pass rate. He's improving, growing into that role, as you'd expect. Derek Henry completely ran over everyone, though he did not have anywhere near as good a game as James Robinson, a really, really talented running back. Thank God Urban Meyer's finally noticed. 18 carries, 149 yards, 8.3 yards per carry. He played phenomenally. Any turnaround in Jacksonville will be heavily based on the performance of James Robinson. But yeah, for the most part, this game went exactly as expected. The Tennessee Titans are 3-2, their first in the AFC South. The Jacksonville Jaguars are 0-5, their fourth in the AFC South. Final game, Miami Dolphins 17, Tampa Bay Buccaneers 45. I locked this. This game was bad for Miami. And I don't want to talk about it because it will hurt my feelings. Everything went exactly as you'd expect. Jacoby Brissett did have a reasonable game in the end, 95.5 pass rating, but Tom Brady, with a performance that was technically better than Davis Mills, but far less impressive because it was against the Dolphins, um, 144.4 pass rating, he played really well, as you'd expect. Anyway, the Miami Dolphins are 1-4, they're third in the AFC East. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are 4-1, their first in the NFC South. Okay, prediction results then. Only me and Will did predictions this week. Josh forgot. And we both went 11 and 5. We were in lockstep on every single pick. So overall this year, I've gone 56 and 24. Will is second on 48 and 32. Josh is third on 40 and 40 because he didn't do any picks this week. Power rankings then, which you can read on the Sports Blitz website. First, I've gone for the Buffalo Bills, that impressive win over the Kansas City Chiefs meant they jumped over the second place Arizona Cardinals, who did win, but were not as impressive against the San Francisco 49ers. Third, I'm going with the Los Angeles Rams, they beat the Seahawks on first night football. Fourth, Tampa Bay completely smashed the Miami Dolphins, and fifth, Los Angeles Chargers, who put in a really, really impressive performance against the Browns, but I couldn't justify uh, taking a team further down, you know, either the Cardinals or the Rams or Bucks. So, 28th, I've got the Miami Dolphins, who were blown out by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and not surprisingly so. 29th, the Detroit Lions, 0-5, fans need hugs. 30th, the Houston Texans did play well against the New England Patriots, but they did lose in the end, and I honestly just didn't want to deduct the Lions any further places, just because I feel bad for them. 31st, the New York Jets. Should have really beaten the Atlanta Falcons. I think they're slightly the better side. 32nd for Jacksonville Jaguars, 20 losses in a row. Okay, I'm going to preview all games from week 6 of the NFL season. I'll be predicting as I go along. And when I come to one team where I think I guaranteed to win, I'll be locking that team up. I can only do this once a week. 
Four teams on a bye week this week. The New York Jets, the Atlanta Falcons, the San Francisco 49ers and the New Orleans Saints. But the best game from this weekend, Los Angeles Chargers at Baltimore Ravens. Obviously, Justin Herbert's just come off that really exciting duel with Baker Mayfield, and now he gets to go up in a, what will be a really exciting duel against Lamar Jackson. Two of the best quarterbacks in the league, I would give the advantage, though, obviously, to Justin Herbert, because I love him, and he's wonderful. Obviously, we know the two offences in this game are going to be really exciting with Herbert against Jackson. What I'm more intrigued by is the defensive battle. Los Angeles have a really good defence, they should be able to do reasonably well against that Baltimore offense. Baltimore's defense last year was really good. I'm a bit more worried about them this year. I don't think they've been as good. But if they can improve that, then that will be really good for their chances of winning the AFC overall. The Ravens already are one of the biggest contenders for the AFC, as are the Chargers. So for me, it really comes down to which defense can handle the other side's offense the best because both sides are going to do really well offensively but one is going to have to do better than the other and so that's where this game is going to be won or lost again if Baltimore can really impress with their passing that will be even better than if they just run the ball against the Chargers because Chargers will be able to throw it all over the park and it should be a really exciting game and one I can watch because it's on at six o'clock I'm really happy about that so, the 4-1 Los Angeles Chargers travels for 4-1 Baltimore Ravens. I'm just about taking a Ravens win purely on the grounds of home field advantage and nothing more. Because these are two very even sides who will put on a great game. Let's talk about the Cleveland Browns because they're playing the Arizona Cardinals. Obviously, the final undefeated side in the NFL weren't great last week against the San Francisco 49ers, and we're going to have another tough challenge this week. The Cleveland defense, one of the better defenses in the NFL, currently ranking fourth on the year. Uh, the offensive battle, Arizona currently ranked sixth in the NFL on offense. Cleveland ranked fifth. So, again, which defense can do a better job of containing the other side's offense really is going to dictate which side wins this game. The Cardinals started 5-0 for the first time since 1974, and they have been phenomenal so far. I'm worried about their defense going up against that really good Cleveland offense, particularly that run game. That, for me, is why I'm just going to pick the way I'm going to pick. The 5-0 and Arizona Cardinals travel to the 3-2 Cleveland Browns. I'm taking a Browns win. I think they're going to knock that donut out of the Arizona Cardinals record and replace it with a one. Next game I want to talk about Las Vegas Raiders at Denver Broncos. Obviously this game's going to have attention because of the, the other thing. But it should be a really exciting game between two sides really close in the AFC West. How the Raiders respond to the adversity they face this week will be really interesting. The Broncos need to bounce back after a somewhat disappointing game against Pittsburgh. A game where they probably should have been winning. The Broncos do have one of the best defences in the league. They currently rank third on the season. And the Bears were able to contain the Raiders last week. And really, the Broncos should be containing the Raiders' offence this week as well. Though, obviously, if the Raiders can bounce back 
that will be really impressive against one of the better defences in the NFL. And of course, that defence does have to be really good for the Broncos as well, because among the 16 teams in the NFL who have won three or more games entering week six, only the Bears have scored fewer points per game than the Broncos. Broncos have got 20.4 points per game. So, improvement needed on the offense for 3-2 Las Vegas Raiders travels for 3-2 Denver Broncos. I'm taking the Broncos win. My final one of the big four games I want to talk about is Minnesota Vikings at Carolina Panthers because I don't know what these two sides are yet. Like I said, I don't I I can't really agree with either the same and the Vikings are a good side or the Vikings are a bad side because it kind of feels like both and neither at the same time, which is really weird. The Carolina Panthers, they had a dreadful game against the Philadelphia Eagles. They really need a bounce-back performance. Sam Darnold needs to show that he is the quarterback he looked like in the first three weeks of the NFL season. And, of course, it'll be really interesting to see Justin Jefferson going up against DJ Moore, two of the best wide receivers in the league, in my opinion. Sam Darnold's stats have taken a nosedive without Christian McCaffrey, which is not a particular surprise, but he needs to show that he can win without McCaffrey. And he's going up against a defence in the Vikings who, you know, are middle of the pack. So, this is a good litmus test for him. For the Vikings, they didn't have a great time against the Detroit Lions defence. And the Carolina Panthers defence currently ranks second on the season. So, they need to put in a much better performance this time if they have any chance of victory. The 2-3 and three Minnesota Vikings travel to the 3-2 and two Carolina Panthers on the base of home field advantage. I'm going to take a Panthers win. Okay, let's look ahead to the other fixtures then, and let's start with the Thursday night football. Tampa Bay Buccaneers at Philadelphia Eagles. Tom Brady, currently leading the best passing offense in the NFL at age 674. That's absolutely insane. Obviously, Tampa started off the season really well. Third best offense in the entire league, going up against the ninth best Defence currently in the Philadelphia Eagles. Jalen Hurts has had a wonderful start to his career. The only player in the Super Bowl era with 2,000 plus passing yards and 500 plus rushing yards in their first nine starts. Really proving himself to be a dual threat quarterback, but of course he's going up against a Tampa defence last year that was really strong, however only ranking 15 from the season so far. The 4-1 Tampa Bay Buccaneers travel to the 2-3 Philadelphia Eagles on the Thursday night football. I'm taking a Buccaneers win. The first game on Sunday is the international fixture from Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Miami Dolphins at Jacksonville Jaguars. Sheesh. Great, typical, fantastic sort of matchup that we get in London. And neither side looking great so far. Obviously, funnily enough, the Jacksonville Jaguars actually rank higher than the Dolphins in all major categories. 31st ranked offense for Miami against the 21st ranked offense for Jacksonville. Jacksonville's defense 28th to the Dolphins 30th. The pass game, Jacksonville's is 27th, Miami's is 30th. And the run game, Jacksonville's is 6th, almost like they've got James Robinson or something. And Miami's is last. However, that hasn't been translating over to wins in their last five games and it's not necessarily going to translate over to a win here especially because quarterbacks when they're rookies don't do well going overseas apparently rookie starting quarterbacks are 0-5 in London only one has even thrown a touchdown pass and that was Derek Carr in 2014 so optimism all round 
And the Jaguars have been ridiculously bad this year for the most part. They've allowed 22-plus points in 20 straight games, which is the longest streak in NFL history. They're going up against a Dolphins offense that has been looking better with Jacoby Brissett, and he's been playing better than Tua when he's been the starter this year. And, yeah, it's just going to be one of them games. It's going to be close and competitive because they're both bad. But don't expect a lot of fireworks from this game. The 1-4 Miami Dolphins travel to the 0-5 Jacksonville Jaguars. It's at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, the international fixture. 2.30pm kickoff in the UK. I'm taking a Dolphins win. Though this could easily be a Jags win. Obviously, that's how football works. But, you know, if you want to be optimistic, it could go either way. Kansas City Chiefs at Washington football team. If there's one thing I know about really good sides, it's that when they lose, they get angry. And the Chiefs this week have had their sort of record questioned, of course, we, we have on here. Um, everyone's going, oh, are they the side who they were before? Can they bounce back? Now, if they've got anything good about them, that will make them very, very, very mad. And that will make this a very unpleasant experience for the Washington football team. It's the first time I've actually lost three games in a four-game span since weeks five to eight of the 2019 season. And after that run, they turned it around, obviously, won the Super Bowl the year after. And that's not obviously sort of like the winning formula. Now they've lost three out of four. They're going to turn it around suddenly and power forward. But fingers crossed for them. For Washington... They didn't exactly look great last week against a New Orleans Saints size that we would assume are not as good as the Kansas City Chiefs. I, I am looking for, more than anything else, I'm just looking for the Chiefs to come out and show who we thought they were before. That's what they need to in this game. Washington, if they can get any sort of result out of this, it would still, in my mind, be a very impressive game. For them, the two and three Kansas City Chiefs travel to the two and three Washington football team. I'm locking Kansas. The reason I'm locking Kansas is because I think that the Buffalo game and the media criticism, it's going to get a response out of them. And with that, I can't see how Washington win this. Their defense needs to step up and start acting like it was last year. 27th ranked defense at the moment in the NFL. If they can't step up their ideas, I don't see how they win. There are games where teams are favoured by more points, but I'm just not so sure about them. So the current, uh, the game with the biggest line is actually, and we'll get onto it later on, Texans at Colts. But, I mean, it's the Colts, and the Texans played well last week. Los Angeles Rams at New York Giants, and obviously this would be a challenging enough game for the Giants as it is, but... We don't know still if Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley will be able to play. And that's really what this game is going to come down to. Obviously, even with them two, it's going to be an incredibly difficult game for the Giants anyway because the Rams are actually, you know, good and they've not beaten a good side yet. Well, they beat the Saints, but, you know, they're not exactly the Rams. And so, I... Struggle to see how they win anyway, but without them two, it'd be near impossible. In fact, for me, if they don't play, it's absolutely my lock of the week. I know I've just locked Kansas, 
But without them two, they might as well give up and go home immediately. The Giants' defence is another defence that has really taken a step back this year, seemingly. Patrick Graham's defence last year, really one of the surprise packages in the NFL. But this year, they're just not cutting it. 29th ranked in the league. And if they can take a step forward, that would really help in this game. But, you know, not many reasons for optimism. The Rams' offence, really, really high-powered. The defence, one of the better ones in the league, but not statistically at the moment. I believe that's because of the opponents I've been facing, given about three, four more weeks, and suddenly they will probably be statistically showing how good they actually are, as well as showing it when you watch them on the field. Anyway, by the way, it is worth mentioning, with Daniel Jones, New York do have the eighth best pass offense in the league at the moment. He has taken a real step forward in year three. Are we in year three now? Yes, because he was drafted in 2019. Yeah, so in year three of his career, he has been doing significantly better than in his first two seasons. And I think it gives real optimism for him moving forward. The 4-1 Los Angeles Rams travelled to the 1-4 New York Giants and taking a Rams win. Houston Texans at Indianapolis Colts. The people who do betting, and fair play to you if you do, and, you know... Big Amble Aware and all that, but this game is getting a massive line. The Colts are favoured by 10 points, which I don't usually like talking about betting on this show, but for me, that is truly ridiculous. I don't know where they're getting that from because I don't think it even remotely aligns with reality. The Colts, yes, have been. Statistically, they're a lot better, but to be honest, there have been games where, despite the score being close, they've not looked strong at all. I think from what I've heard, and I, I mentioned earlier, I didn't really watch it, that the Baltimore game was different to that. But then again, the Texans played against the Patriots, and they kept that game close as well. I know Baltimore's better than New England, but I don't think this game is an absolute nailed-on sort of victory for the Colts, they're going to have to work for it. And they desperately need this because if they even want to show any semblance of being able to catch the Titans in the race of the AFC South, they need to win against teams like Houston. For Houston, if David Mills keeps improving as quarterback to show that he can be starting calibre for this team going forward, as, as he was last week, then that's going to be great. The expectations were so low for Houston. Many people saying, oh, they're going to be the first 0-17 team. But honestly, their season's already been a success and now it can only get better. So, just just keep it close. Just keep it close. And if you can get the win, then obviously try. The 1-4 Houston Texans travel to the 1-4 Indianapolis Colts. I'm taking a Colts win. Cincinnati Bengals at Detroit Lions and... I just want Lions fans to have, like, hope for the future. They've not they've not enjoyed the best five weeks of this NFL season. And with the Bengals coming to town, I don't see it getting any better, to be honest. The Bengals, surprisingly, by the way, rank 11th in defence, which is not something I actually thought was the case, but fair play to them. For the most part, these sides are actually very evenly matched when you look at their statistics, but the Lions just don't seem to have any luck at all. The football gods clearly hate them 
quite a lot. So, hopefully one day things will actually start going their way. I don't think it's going to be against Joe Burrow. Obviously, we, it is worth mentioning Joe Burrow did go to hospital after the game against the Packers with... A throw injury, obviously, our best wishes go to him after what happened. He's giving himself a voice rest. So, obviously, whatever happened, it wasn't nice. It required him to go to hospital. So, yeah, our thoughts go to him. Obviously, he's out of hospital now. He seems to have recovered, but still didn't sound nice at all. I sort of it's really did not like hearing it. Anyway... He's going to be back for this game, and he's going to be firing on all cylinders, one would assume, as per usual. The 3-2 and two Cincinnati Bengals travel to the 0-5 Detroit Lions. I'm taking a Bengals win. Green Bay Packers at Chicago Bears, and the win against Las Vegas last week was seriously impressive for the Bears. Obviously, feels like the Packers are a different kettle of fish. The Bears' offense still ranks worse in the NFL. But they are definitely improving, and against a good Packers defense, this is going to be a real litmus test for Justin Fields and the Bears. Um, as mentioned, the Bears' defense has been playing really well. Obviously, they kept the Las Vegas Raiders to just nine points last week, and eighth ranked in the NFL at the moment. They are going to be going up against a Packers offense that obviously still has Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones. And oh god, it's terrifying. So it's it's a real litmus test for going forward. Obviously, I don't think if they do win, if the Bears actually pull this off and go to four and two, obviously sending the Packers to four and two as well, they could genuinely challenge for the NFC North again. But you know, I wouldn't expect that yet. It's, it's a real chance to see where this spare side is going. If they're able to put up a good performance against the Packers, who are definitely, you know, on the downwards escalator as they're on the upwards escalator, then this could be the Bears' division for quite a while. Obviously, with Aaron Rodgers almost certainly leaving at the end of this year and Devontae Adams almost certainly leaving at the end of this year, the Bears seemingly in prime position to take their place as the rulers of the NFC North. And... A win against Green Bay this week would be a real great way to state that. Don't think it's going to happen though. The 4 and 1 Green Bay Packers travel to the 3 and 2 Chicago Bears. I'm taking a Packers win. Dallas Cowboys at New England Patriots, the two teams that America absolutely hates. <laughs> the Cowboys were a bit fortunate to win against the Giants last time out, not only because. Obviously, they got several injuries to go their way, but I wouldn't even remotely imply that the Cowboys were happy about that. Not only, though, did they have them injuries go their way with Daniel Jones and Saquon going off in the first quarter, but then they also had refereeing help again. So, it's fair to say that they got more than the rub of the green last time out. The Patriots... Should not have allowed it to be that close against the Houston Texans. Davis Mills, yes, he, he seems like a quarterback, but the seemingly good Patriots defense that currently ranks fifth in the NFL shouldn't have made it look that easy because, boy, was it very easy for Davis Mills to get his yards. And they're going up this week against Dak Prescott, who is definitely better than Davis Mills. The Cowboys currently rank second defensively. 
it is strength on strength, weakness on weakness, because the Cowboys' offense taking off the Patriots' defense much better than when the Patriots' offense, currently ranked 26th, go onto the field against the 25th ranked defense in the Dallas Cowboys. Both of them are improving, though. Obviously, last year, the Dallas defense was a complete disaster, and Matt Jones clearly is the answer for the New England Patriots going forward, but... You know, that's for two weaknesses of the side. It's sides. It's going to be a real close matchup for me if the Patriots play to potential. If they play like they did last week, then Dallas could easily blow them out. Though, like I said, I wouldn't expect that to happen. It should be, hopefully, it'll be an interesting matchup. And who, regardless of, of who wins, all of America will be annoyed anyway. The 4-1 Dallas Cowboys travel to the 2-3 New England Patriots. I'm taking a Cowboys win. Because Prescott in it. Okay, let's go on to the Sunday Night Football then. Seattle Seahawks at Pittsburgh Steelers. When NBC decides to, to broadcast this game, I'm sure they weren't picturing two 2-3 two sides, one of which didn't have Russell Wilson going up against each other. Because, but uh, that's what they're getting. Seattle, I worry about them on both sides of the ball at the moment because not only are they, do they not have Russell Wilson, but also the defence has been, once again, abysmal. It looked like they were taking steps forward in the latter half of last season. That has almost all vanished. They're looking dreadful again defensively. The Steelers, currently middle of the pack defensively, but they've missed key players and they're going to still miss key players and of course no Juju Smith-Schuster Chase Claypool's going to have to do more heavy lifting he did last week got 130 yards last week that should be fine Ben Roethlisberger needs to continue to step up especially against the Seattle defense if he can't do anything against the Seattle defense he's not going to be able to do anything against anyone going forward but Fingers crossed, he hopefully does, and the run game's been also improving over the last few weeks. And now not the worst in the NFL! Well done, Pittsburgh! Uh, <laughs> they're now 31st, so yay. But improvement, anyway. I don't want to say it, but I know we're playing Geno Smith, and therefore I kind of have to say it. It's probably going to jinx it. But I know I have to. The two and three Seattle Seahawks travel to the two and three Pittsburgh Steelers. I'm taking a Pittsburgh win. If that jinxes it, then actually, if anything's going to jinx it, it's going to be the NFL who uh, do their big border predictions at the start of every week, and all but one of the pundits who they ask have gone for Steelers. So great, great. Final game to mention then, the Monday Night Football is between the Buffalo Bills and the Tennessee Titans. Buffalo are 4-1, having played really good sides. The Tennessee Titans are 3-2, having lost to really bad sides. I I still don't know what to make of Tennessee. Like, it feels like they should be a good side, but then... Just my brain keeps telling me they're not, and... Buffalo still, having played Kansas, have the best ranked defence in the NFL. And at this point, I don't feel comfortable saying, ah, yeah, but that's just because of who they faced. I mean, it is for the most part, but they also played really well against Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill. And I don't think you can really complain. The Bills also have the eighth best offence in the NFL at the moment, statistically. 
Josh Allen, I think I would only put Kyler Murray ahead of him in the race for MVP at the moment. Off the top of my head, maybe Tom Brady. But he's been playing phenomenally while the defense have been stepping up. And the Titans have been able to drop a few real stinkers this season. They're still ranked 10th in offense. Thanks, Derek Henry. But the defense is still really, really bad. And I don't see it getting better anytime soon. Before them, one Buffalo Bills travel to the 3-2 and two Tennessee Titans. It's the Monday Night Football. I'm taking a Bills win. A few more things to mention then before we wrap up the podcast. First of all, the number 21 jersey of Sean Taylor is going to be retired by the Washington football team. Obviously, Taylor, a player with a side in the late 2000s who lost his life when he was fatally shot during an armed robbery in his house. It was absolutely horrifying and Washington have decided to commemorate his memory by retiring his jersey. He only played for them for four seasons, but in that time he made the Pro Bowl twice and was a really good player for them. Now, it's a nice thing. Obviously, it's a nice thing. I am a pessimist. I think it's fair to say, not only is the glass half empty, the glass is probably containing some poisonous chemical that's going to kill us, but it's hard to look at this and the timing of it and to not think this is in some way something to do with the investigation into the team that has got John Gruden fired. I would love to say it's not and that it's like truly just disastrous PR timing, but... I honestly can't say it is. Knowing Dan Snyder and the things that he's done in the past, using the death of Sean Taylor to cover up the investigation or to try and take it out of the interest of the media would not be the most surprising thing. Does Sean Taylor deserve to have his jersey retired? Sure. But in this way, no. They really should have delayed the announcement. If this... It, If this was genuine and they were going to do it anyway to commemorate him, they should have delayed the announcement. Because this is always a reaction they're going to get and that's what a lot of the reaction in the NFL media has been. All the timing of this is is strange, isn't it? I, I wish they'd delayed the announcement because I can't come to any other conclusion than the one that says that this is deliberate to try and move aside the investigation which is a real shame it's honestly don't have words but it wouldn't surprise me at all if that's what this is I know there's some people who will pound the table and say yes that absolutely is what this is but I just I'm not in the mood to do that Anyway, we'll move on to the final story then and it concerns the future of the international game the NFL have been planning to put a international game in Germany for quite a while now, and there are now three finalists to be the host city, Dusseldorf, Frankfurt, and Munich. Obviously, Germany has a lot of support for the NFL, and if you're from Germany and you're listening to this, hello! Nice to have you here. If you've been following the European League of Football... So far, then, you'll know that most of the teams are from Germany. The final, it was an all-German affair between Frankfurt and Hamburg. And my Hamburg side lost, and I'm very hurt by that. <laughs> and 
there is a big craving for American football in Germany. And it's so nice to see that we could be having an international game over there. Dusseldorf, Frankfurt, Munich, I would assume, and I could be completely wrong, but if it was to be held in Munich, it would be at the Allianz Arena, which would be an absolutely fantastic call. It's a wonderful stadium. And that if it was in Frankfurt, it would be at the home of Eintracht Frankfurt, the Commerzbank Arena. I should know. I watch German football every week. The Bundesliga is my favourite league in the world. Well, my favourite top flight in the world, I should say. The Spider Bundesliga is my favourite league in the world. And Dusseldorf, it would be at the Merkspiel Arena, home of Fortuna Dusseldorf. All three are fantastic stadiums. I think the NFL will be great wherever it goes. I would probably say that the Allianz in Munich is the better stadium. But Frankfurt would be the better city. And Dusseldorf would be great too. But... Of course, also, Frankfurt, the home of the ELF champions, unfortunately. It's not Hamburg. Um, but, yeah, it should be great. And wherever it goes, it will be fantastic. And I really hope I'll be able to go over there and watch a game because that would be phenomenal. Anyway, that's all the time we have on the NFL Blitz event today. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week to review all games on week six of the NFL season. Until then, I've been Alex Woodward. And don't just have a good week. Like the best play in NFL history. Having him match with one. Goodbye.